If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk. Yes, I'm your host, Todd Huff. Oh, boy. Did you watch this thing last night? Not as entertaining. Not as entertaining as the last debate, but definitely had some moments of entertainment. Uh, Really, there were moments of shouting, a lot of hand raising. That is so stupid. I mean, literally, the whole stage has their hand up. It's like a first grade classroom. Oh, call on me, 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 me. I know the, I know the answer. Oh, please. I can't believe the professor, the teacher didn't call on me. Oh, my goodness. They don't, you can't get a full grasp of that when you're watching most of the time because they zoom in on the person talking. But when they do the wide angle and they show all seven of these jokers up there at the same time, you can see the hands Flying up like crazy. Lots of crazy stuff was said on this debate stage last night. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the campaign. We'll talk about Bernie and his affections for communist Fidel Castro. As the program comes together, we weren't able to get to that yesterday. So we'll dive into that as well. Um, But I wanted to let you know, as I always do off the top, email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. That is the email where you can send your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your criticisms, just make them count. Also, praise and adoration are also accepted. Todd at Facebook.com slash Todd Show if you want to watch the program live or on demand, so long as Facebook will allow that to happen. In fact, I was a little late starting the program this morning because I do my patented two thumbs up. Sometimes I mix in a third, a fifth, change the cadence of that to the Facebook audience. So, debate last night. Oh, my goodness. Um, What jumps out at me? The things that jump out to me the most, uh, first, I mentioned the the raised hands. I think think this is so silly and stupid, and it looks – you talk about looking unpresidential. I think that this is what looks unpresidential. You have a debate moderator, supposedly – the debate moderator had no control last night. There was so much crosstalk. I thought about this morning. I thought about this morning looping some of the audio of the debate while I was talking just to give you a f- – and just play it throughout the whole show so that you would get a, a, a glimpse of what you missed last night had you tuned into the uh, debate. Of course, I realize that you care much more about what I have to say than what these crazy folks have to say, rightfully so. But – we had a lot of cross talking. Joe Biden, I'm watching some 
on Fox right now. I'm watching muted in the background some some of the highlights. Joe Biden, tough guy Joe Biden came last night. He got some cheers from the audience. He got some cheers when he got all riled up and, and angry, and I think it fired him up. I think he thought, there's the Joe I need to bring. And so he continued to bring that Joe last night. Michael Bloomberg, I think, referenced 9-11 in every one of his answers. Now, I want to say something about that. My, I don't know that it's really abundantly clear, but I'm going to look this up to confirm I've got this this right. Of course, we know that on 9-11, September 11th, 2001, um, we know that Rudy Giuliani um, – Sorry, I'm making sure I get this right. But Rudy Giuliani, we remember, um, was mayor of New York City. Michael Bloomberg wanted to talk about how he knows how to deal with, uh, you know, crisis and coming through, coming through a situation as tragic, a national tragedy, but one that was focused primarily on New York City, also in Washington D.C., and then of course in in Shanksville. Pennsylvania. But Bloomberg uh, was elected, or I should say sworn in as mayor on January 1st, 2002. So it's not entirely false that he was not involved in New York City's dealings with 9-11 and coming out of that um, coming out of that crisis and the rebuilding of the city, because he was. But he wasn't mayor on September 11, uh, 11, 2001 itself, which a couple of times I think maybe sounded like that. I got even a text last night from someone, so they flat out lied about that. And maybe he did, but I didn't didn't hear him say that he was mayor on 9-11 just as they they were rebuilding from from 9-11. But Bernie goes to, besides the hands being raised, which again is not a presidential look, to, to sit there and to basically be... I mean, it's it's really silly looking to me. The hands go up. Each of them has their own unique way of raising their hand. Pete Buttigieg kind of keeps his elbow down, has his hand by his... He doesn't reach up real far out, kind of waving his hand around like that obnoxious kid in class, but he meekly and mildly holds his hand kind of uh, right at his head level, so to speak. Bernie, leaning across the podium, it's a borderline, reminds me of... uh, (laughs) It almost looks well. You don't want to say that in today's world, but he leans forward with his hand out because he got he doesn't he's not standing up straight the whole debate. He's leaning over that podium the whole time, so he does that. Here I'm looking at the hands right now. Tom Steyer's holding up number one. So we got that nonsense happening. We've got uh, Bernie has his or uh, Bernie has his go to response anytime he has an answer. Excuse me, a question or something that's. That's come up that he doesn't want to talk about. He tries to reframe the answer to include these three things, a living wage, free college, and Medicare for all. That's it. Tuition-free colleges, free uh, living wage, right, $15 an hour. Bernie, Bernie and his team of mathematicians have sat down and determined that the living wage is $15 an hour. Uniformly, by the way, across the country. It's amazing stuff. I don't know how you take into account um, cost of living in certain cities. How is San Francisco the same as Topeka, Kansas, the same as Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the same as Boston, Massachusetts, the same as Monrovia, Indiana? I don't know, but Bernie and his team have this figured out. They've got what the living wage is, what it should be. 
Of course, my question always is, if $15 an hour is good enough, why not 16 If $16 an hour is good enough, why not 17 You could go on ad infinitum with this nonsense. But that's his go-to. By the way, there was a part in the debate last night, a part in the debate last night where Bernie, I thought was one of the more, um, what do you want to say? I think I think one of the more damaging moments for Bernie is when he said uh, one of the, the questions was asked about how do you pay for all of your programs? Basically, you've shown us. Oz is looking at me with a puzzled look. No, she's she's shaking her head. No, but one of the questions were you you know Bernie you've shown us you know your programs are cost X amount. Um, you've shown us a way to raise about half of that. Can you explain the math on this? Which it's always funny to me when I hear the left, the Democrats, and of course the radical socialists talking about about math because there's not enough fingers and toes in that room, even counting all the folks in the audience, to go through and to get up to the numbers Bernie's talking about. These are lots, you know, big numbers. Fifty trillion here, twenty trillion there. He talks about these things as though it's no big deal. He talks about these things as though Bloomberg's got this in his wallet down there on the end of the debate stage. Couldn't tell if he was standing on a box last night or, or not, <laughs> or, or a stool, as Trump has said. But anyway, many mics down there. Bernie thinks that billionaire Bloomberg's got apparently enough money in his back pocket at the moment to cut a check or to maybe probably pay cash, pay cash for these programs. But Anyway, when he was asked about this last night to explain the math, he said, how much time do we have? Because I don't – you know, the, I can't cover the math. I don't have enough time to go, through, <laughs> to go through the math, which is pretty perfectly said to me because I think that's how long it takes Bernie and his team to do some of this simple math based upon the – based upon some of the ideas and policies that I've seen coming out of the Bernie Sanders camp. Of course, Buttigieg jumps in and says, look, it doesn't take two hours to, <laughs> to do the math, Bernie. In fact, Buttigieg was almost seeming to suggest that we'll all sit up here. We'll sit up here quietly as you get the blackboard up or the overhead projector. Maybe we can connect to an Apple TV device and you can, on an iPad, maybe you can do the math for the rest of us to see so that we can understand the math because, candidly, Bernie, it doesn't add up. Buttigieg then added that what Bernie's math does add up to is four more years of Donald Trump, Speaker Kevin McCarthy in the House, and a Senate that still belongs to the Republicans. And so this is the sort of thing we saw last night. I will say I don't think it was as entertaining. That last debate I thoroughly loved. It entertained me from the very moment that that thing started. This one last night was not as uh, as entertaining. It had its it had its moments. Um but it also had I don't know, it was it was just a lot more maybe annoying <laughs> than the other one. The, the the last one in in Nevada was completely pure entertainment for me. I mean, I was pausing that thing and laughing, telling my wife, "Watch this. Let me rewind that." grabbing clips left and right. I, there were so many clips I had from that debate, I didn't even know where to begin. Last night was was just much much more boring to me, much more annoying to me. But there were, of course, some moments 
um, that were that were entertaining. Uh, Bloomberg still comes across as super arrogant, uh, egotistical, uh, as though he's everyone else on that stage is beneath beneath him. This is not. I'm telling. This is not connecting with the American people, even even with the Democrat Party, the the the, the establishment still looking for a candidate that they think can defeat Bernie. So all these things are still going on. But again, last night, the the raising of the hands, the raising of the voices, the crosstalk, um, you know, people kind of settling into their standard responses, Bloomberg with 9-11, Bernie with his go-to living wage, college that's going to be free, Medicare for all, Buttigieg, um, the one on the stage that, again, I don't want to come across as though I'm supporting <laughs> Buttigieg, but at least every once in a while, reasonable things would come out of his mouth. And look, I think the danger of Buttigieg is that, kind of like Obama, in certain ways they they maybe mask the degree of, of liberalism or socialism that they're ready to embrace. But just based upon the logic or the uh, the amount of coherent words coming out of their mouth. Clearly, to me, he's the one that had the the most of that. Uh, but still, he's, of course, in, in trouble in South Carolina and in trouble uh, looking at polling for whatever you make of that as we move into Super Tuesday, which is less than a week away. So here in the next, what, uh, the next week, we're going to have South Carolina on Saturday and then we're going to have Super Tuesday to talk about. So this this thing will shape out, uh, really take shape here in the next week or so, as, assuming they can count their votes in the Super Tuesday states. So we may not know until the second week of March once they get the calculations together and Bernie's team of mathematicians goes over and tries to help them with tabulating results in different states. But that's where we are today. i got lots of thoughts on uh, on this debate and how it pertains to the remaining, <laughs> what we have left to go through to get to the nomination. Uh, some thoughts on that as well. Talk about this when we get back. Got to take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. You know, I should add this this morning. You'll probably get a kick out of this. I had something last night. I, I woke up last night having a dream. I'm not going to tell you the dream. This has never happened. I was laughing. I woke up literally laughing at whatever happened in my dream. Hadn't had that happen before. For all I know, I was envisioning that Democrat debate. I, I'm not sure. But had not had that had that happen before. We're on, by the way, dated number uh, what twenty four Democrat Party in crisis in crisis, and that's what we're witnessing here. So part of last night, the the, the backdrop for last night, and I thought I had this pulled up. There's Oz's daily six twenty two sneeze in the background, but every um, I I thought I had this soundbite pulled up. And I don't. Actually, I thought I had it in a couple different places because I listened to it, but I didn't uh, – I don't have it here. So I'm going to talk about it as I'm looking, and maybe next uh, next break I'll try to find, uh, find it. But Bernie Sanders comes out and defends 
defends Fidel Castro. Bernie actually says, I think during his town hall, whenever that was, I think it was during his town hall, and there's a 60 Minutes interview. There's different places where you can find Bernie actually defending defending Fidel Castro, the communist dictator of Cuba. Bernie Sanders says, hey, well, you know what? He had good literacy programs. That's – okay, so so the, the one side of this, the, the one reaction is this is totally stupid and, I mean, just to it, – it's – to think that someone could be this far from reality is crazy to me. And it's tempting to, to, to chuckle at someone who's so far off from reality. This person actually running for president and is even the front runner. But that's one reaction. The other side is th- this man, Fidel Castro, and his brother and his band of thugs that have run Cuba, or as Bernie says, Cuba, as he's, he's destroyed actual human lives. Backed by some estimates, killing over a hundred thousand of his own people, which is atrocious. This is not only that, not only the people that he's killed, but what about the people he's imprisoned? What about the people that he's he's beaten? People who simply have the audacity to have a different idea, different perspective than the great leader Fidel Castro. And I know, I know that there's a lot of people today. They have. You know, there's no historical framework. As, as Rush has said, in the eyes of many people, history began the day that they were that they were born. So as we have these people clamoring around Bernie, many of them are younger millennials. They may not have even heard about things like the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the Bay of Pigs. They may not realize how close to uh, conflict we came during said Cuban Missile Crisis. They may not have understood – they may not have understood that Russia was shipping nuclear weapons to the Cuban uh, – to the island of, of Cuba, which is what, 90, 90 miles south, I guess, of, of Key West, of southern Florida. And the you know, how quickly that strike would have hit the United States would have been a metaphorical blink of the eye. They don't know and understand the conflict, the tension between our nations, that all this stuff – that came up during the Cold War, all this stuff that arose to the surface during the Cold War, and as Bernie, by the way, taking his honeymoon in Moscow during the Cold War, right, Bernie? It's the same time frame. I'm not saying the same exact time on the calendar, right? Because the, the Cold War, the Cold War was a what a 30, 40, 40 year period, basically from. Uh, it started not long after the end of World War II, and then we quickly, you know, by the uh, late '80s, early '90s, the end of the end of the Cold War came about because of well, because of leadership by Reagan, because of uh, the immoral and unsustainable type of government and system that the Soviets had built their nation upon, corrupt. Uh, it, it didn't reflect or didn't. It didn't complement human nature in the sense of what it is that motivates people to work. They had extreme poverty and all sorts of problems. But the tensions that existed, and I know many of you were alive and lived through the Cold War, things that 
um, you know, some students today, I guess in a similar way as they think about and prepare for things like school shootings or maybe talk about terrorism, those things were prevalent in our school systems when we not not those in particular, but things about Cold War. Um, some of you may have even taken refuge under your desk during nuclear bomb, uh, nuclear attack trainings and so forth. But this was a big, big problem, tense time. And this all was fueled by people who were maniacal, radical, insane dictators. And that includes, and that includes Fidel Castro, who now Bernie Sanders praises because of his literacy program. I mean, it's absolutely, utterly insane. And not only does he do that, he doubles down, he triples down. And there's a couple folks on stage that have questioned that. Buddha Judge is one that's that's questioned it. Um, but not with the, uh, the, the intensity that I would think that you would want to go after that. This, this is insanity, defending defending Fidel Castro because his government has his government has literacy programs and and they're trying to give health care to all. Well, I don't know that that includes the hundred plus thousand people he killed. It's just insanity. I mean what why? Why is it an acceptable, applaudable thing to say, to say we're gonna give health care to everybody? In a communist nation, and Bernie applauds. Oh, that's wonderful. Can everybody read? Oh, great. They can read and get health care. They can also go to the gulags. They can also go and be executed because they disagree with the with the dear leader. This is, by the way, by the way, why we had um, the policy of, of accepting people who were fleeing. Remember, people from Cuba fleeing grabbing whatever it was that that would float and they would try to navigate that 90 mile stretch between Cuba and the United States sometimes drifting different to different places not necessarily hitting exactly where they where they wanted but they were so oppressed but they could read right i mean to bernie's point i guess they could read um, but that wasn't enough to make them want to stay in that repressive, abusive, maniacal, evil regime. They fled, many that's, that, risking their lives, some of them dying to get out of that, well, that hellhole of Cuba because of the ideas. Look, the island of Cuba is, is beautiful. The people of Cuba are totally capable of doing the things that any free people can do if they're allowed to do it, but not under the heavy hand of a maniacal, evil, truly evil individual that Bernie Sanders is praising because, my golly, he taught the kids how to read. The stupidity, the aloofness, the disconnect that that in and of itself, that in and of itself should disqualify this man Bernie Sanders, if just ignoring all the other utopian promises and whimsical thoughts that Bernie Sanders has on a daily basis, to know that this guy praises Fidel Castro for his health care system and for teaching kids to read is beyond reprehensible to me. And every candidate last night, 
missed an opportunity to really expose him for that. But it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder what do the Democrats, what does the, what do the radical left really think about that? Anyway, gotta take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host Todd Huff. Back here in just a minute. So I want to play. I found this soundbite. I had it. I lost it. Found it again. Bernie Sanders doubling down, tripling down, whatever, on his praise, adoration for Fidel Castro. Because look, Fidel Castro, Fidel Castro has actually helped the people of Cuba. By golly, he's helped them because of his very, uh, just very helpful, heartfelt program to help people read, teach people how to read. That is what, that's what, uh, that's what his regime was all about. He just wants to help people read, right? That and totally become a totalitarian communist dictator thug, killing, torturing, maiming, oppressing people to the point to where they want to jump on makeshift rafts to take that trip from Cuba, as Bernie says, to southern Florida, hoping that they can get on to the dry land of the United States, be given uh, asylum for escaping the maniacal, evil dictatorship, totalitarian dictatorship of Cuba. Bernie's out here praising this, thinking this is a fantastic thing. I want you to hear this. This is his... Um, Town Hall, I guess. He's up here with tough guy Chris Cuomo. No word if Chris Cuomo challenged Bernie to a a fight, as he often seems to want to do. Tough guy Chris Cuomo up here talking with Bernie Sanders, listening to Bernie explain why Fidel, you know what? The guy was – he's just misunderstood. This We need to give this guy a chance. The truth is the truth, and he helped people to read. It's literally like an alternative universe here, and it's one that's not anywhere near – <laughs> as as good and reasonable as the one we live in as we listen to this nonsense coming from the lips of Bernie Sanders. Here you go. You said on 60 Minutes this weekend, it is unfair to simply say everything is bad with the way Fidel Castro ruled in Cuba. Now, Democratic members of Congress who represent Cuban Americans in Florida, uh, you, obviously you got to win there. They're attacking your comment as absolutely unacceptable, singing the praises of a murderous tyrant. Response. The response was when Fidel Castro first came to power, which was when? 59? Is that sound right? 59-60. Okay. You know what he did? He initiated a major literacy program. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of folks in Cuba at that point who were literate. And he formed the Literacy Brigade. You may read that. He went out and they helped people learn to read and write. You know what? I think te- teaching people to read and write is a good thing. I have been extremely consistent and critical of all authoritarian regimes all over the world, including Cuba, including Nicaragua, including Saudi Arabia, including China, including Russia. I happen to believe in democracy, not authoritarianism. But, you know, you can't say China is another example. All right. China is an authoritarian country becoming more and more authoritarian. But can anyone deny? I mean, the facts are clear that they have taken more people out of extreme poverty than any country in history. Do I get criticized because I say that? That's the truth. 
So that is the fact. End of discussion. So to the Democrats who say, you don't say good things about Fidel Castro. He uh, destroyed freedoms in that country. He played picks winners and losers and killed them and put them in prison forever. You don't give him a pat on the back for anything. You don't give, it's not a quite, truth is truth. All right? Now, if you want to disagree with me, if somebody wants to say that, and by the way, all of those Congress people that you mentioned just so happen to be supporting other candidates, just accidentally, no doubt, coincidentally. <laughs> but, you know, the truth is the truth. And that's what happened in the first years of the Castro regime. All right, there you go. <laughs> I mean, could there be a more disconnected lack of concern response that could be given by someone running for president of the United States. The Literacy Brigade, the whole reason, I guess, what we're supposed to take from this, Fidel Castro took power through the Cuban Revolution um, just so he could help people read. That was, the fir- that was the first thing that they did. That's what Bernie thinks. The very first thing that they did was say, hey, okay, now we've got power here in Cuba. By the way, I don't know why it's Cuba and China, but that's apparently what it is when Bernie Sanders is talking. But then again, that makes about as much sense as anything else that Bernie Sanders – actually more sense than the, the, the other things I hear Bernie saying. But Bernie's out there telling us that, look, Fidel Castro teaching kids to read, that's a good thing. Man, the guy's just out there, has a heart for the people, teaching them to read. That's a good thing. I think teaching kids to read – is a good thing. It might be interesting to learn the things that they were teaching them to read. My guess is that a lot of this stuff was communist propaganda, Bernie, probably in favor of that too, for all I know. Some of this stuff was probably directed at the evils of the United States. It reminds me reminds me of some of the uh, classroom materials I've seen from uh, Palestinian schools. Right? They'd have basic math problems and it would be – or reading lessons and the, the sentence would be, you know, the, 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 the filthy Jewish child or whatever from Israel. And then that would be the sentence that these kids are, are reading. But hey, applause to him for getting literacy up in, in Cuba. You know, it matters. The ideology matters. And there's another thing he said in that, in that stupid – answer he just gave there the answer about china lifting more people out of poverty (laughs) it's incredible why can china lift people out of poverty you know why china can lift people out of poverty because of the united states of america that's why and why is the united states of america the economy that it is well i gotta take a break we'll talk about that after the break as well this guy is consistently wrong on absolutely everything absolutely truly i'm not kidding almost a hundred percent the guy couldn't be more wrong if he woke up in the morning and decided my intention for today is to be a hundred percent wrong in fact in fact if what he thinks is right um is as wrong as i'm telling you it is he would actually be better off like george costanda he should do the opposite bernie whatever your inclination is to say on stage, if your inclination is to praise Castro, do the opposite. If your inclination is to say the government can solve it, do the opposite. 
Because then suddenly you'd be finding yourself stumbling into truth, at least. You talk about truth. Truth is not that Castro was a good guy because he taught his kids to read. Truth is that Castro and his brother and the gang of leaders in Cuba are absolutely reprehensible human beings that deserve not to be praised. They deserve to be, well, to be described exactly for what they are. Dangerous, evil, maniacal dictators and thugs. And I've got to take a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. You know, that second half of Bernie's answer, not the part about Cuba, although that's reprehensible, evil, despicable, inexcusable, his answer about China, his answer about the China and the China government, how they have lifted more people out of uh, poverty than any other country, that's actually as equally problematic evil and reprehensible, maybe not as equally evil, but the ideology of communism is evil. And so when you're propping this nonsense up, when you're propping up a, a, the, the ideology that enslaves, imprisons, beats, tortures its citizens, that's not a good thing. Again, the reason, the reason that the Chinese economy has, has grown is really in over this maybe oversimplifying it, but to a degree, there's a lot of truth here. Number one, they have they have a nation called the United States of America that's their biggest customer, or at least it has been historically. This economy that we've created here, that was created through capitalism, freedom, opportunity. This economy is what makes the Chinese manufacturing economy possible they basically find a way to manufacture things at lower cost than we do here and they have created in a sense i don't want to call it a niche but basically they've they've piggybacked onto the u.s economy that and that and they have relaxed some of their rules they've they've actually Improved, and if you look at Hong Kong and that relationship, Hong Kong to China, that relationship, what exactly Hong Kong is. If you look at the Hong Kong economy, that's a pretty darn free economy. That's a prosperous place. Hong Kong is, I mean, uh, just a very, very vibrant uh, economy, and so forth. And so, this, uh, what makes it so, is how it embraces these ideas of. Well, a capitalistic or uh, you know ideas that are rooted in in some of these truths that that we talk about conservative uh, truths, economic truths. It's not because the communists came in and, and took all the money from the wealthy and then created a system whereby people suddenly got wealthy. Capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty on this planet than anything else in the history of the world. There's not even a close second. In fact, some people might be tempted to say, no, no, Todd, charity. And I'm not – look, I am not bashing charity. I think charity is a necessary thing. Uh, I think it's healthy economically. I think it's necessary um, for those who have, have faith. We're required. 
we're, we're told to help those that you know, God has placed in our lives that, that maybe need help. It doesn't mean that we're required to subsidize their bad decisions, but to offer help to people who are, who are in need. All of us have either, well, we've all probably helped and been helped in some way, shape, manner, or form at some point in our lives, if for nothing else, or in, in no other way, by our parents, right? I love it when my kids tell me, Dad, you owe me this. I'm like, wait a minute here, buddy. Let me tell you something. If the, you have a misunderstanding of this relationship, because let's, we can go back and we can list out who owes who what, <laughs> and um, that's not the way that this relationship works. Of course, I say that a little playfully and usually get a, a smile, at least from uh, my older one who's beginning to get a grasp of just how much parents have done for him. And of course, you're a child. As a child, you don't you don't know. But my point is, we've all both helped and and given help, and that's a necessary thing. But the only thing that really makes that possible is if we have more than enough to meet our basic needs. If we don't have anything, if we don't have any more than simply the means to provide for our basic needs, there's no room for charity. There's no charity without profit. There's no profit without free markets and capitalism. And it's that, that ideology, that has actually freed people from the chains of poverty more. The idea that communism has, that Bernie said in that latter part of that answer on stage, is patently stupid. Again, it's just, and it's dangerous, folks. It's dangerous because people nod their heads and they think, oh, that sounds so wonderful. It's fair. It's equal. It's utopia. We can join hands, sing kumbaya. Everything is perfect and great and just as it should be if only Bernie were elected president. And that is, uh, couldn't be further from the truth. Got to take a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Sorry, you're talking with Oz behind the scene. Lost track of exactly where we were in the intro music there. But um, look, this these these ideas, these ideas that are on the debate stage from Bernie, pr- primarily through Bernie, again the front runner. Uh, these are well, they're largely these are dangerous ideas, ideas that that go against candidly the foundational principles and bedrock of this great nation socialism is not is not part of our founding socialism is not well it's just it's 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 not a friend of liberty it's not a friend of freedom it's not a friend of well living your own life making your own decisions your those things become limited when the government thinks that it can take more, control more, of course, provide more. And so we've got an entire half of a party or a third of the party or 40%, whatever it is now, that's clamoring for this stuff. So I got more thoughts about the debate here that we'll get into here at the top of the next hour. But I've got to wrap up here. SDG, thanks for listening. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.